I'm a truck driver and I'm about to lose my job because of autonomous vehicles. What should I do to prepare for the change that's coming? I sat down with a psychiatrist for 30 minutes, had just a conversation like this, and it listened to that conversation and wrote highly technical notes about the conversation about my mental state. Like, oh, he has PTSD. He's been sexually abused as a child and put them in scientific language for the doctor so that the doctor could watch me over time and see if I'm improving. That's crazy. 30 minutes, right? What happens after 40 hours? <laughs> Hello and welcome to Polyweb. I'm your host, Sara Landi Tortoli, and my guest today is Robert Scoble, author, former technical evangelist at Microsoft, and chief strategy officer at Infinita Retina. In this conversation, we explore the new frontiers of spatial computing and AI, and the potential threat and opportunities that you can leverage. Robert, welcome to Polyweb. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> oh my God, I already know that this conversation is going to be so much fun and you're going to take me into some very, very deep uh, rabbit holes. And we can, I mean, like, this is also like a podcast, so some people, you know, don't, don't see, but uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah. but without further ado, I'm... I always like to know some of the background of the people that I have on this show, you know, yeah. and I, and I'm most fascinated about uh, early years and early decisions uh, that, that you took uh, in your career and in your life uh, that are crucial and, and led you to the person and the career that you have today. Yeah. My mom got a job. Uh, with uh, a woman named Hilde Licht, who still runs a business in Silicon Valley, to build Apple II motherboards in our house. <laughs> and that was 1978 when I was 13 years old. And I got paid a dollar to load the boards with all the components. And then she would solder them. And later she taught me how to solder on these boards, which got me an early job at HP. That got me to fall in love with the, the motherboard because it was the most beautiful thing I'd seen to that point. It was really pretty impressive piece of technology. And later, you know, in 1989, I met uh, the guy who designed that motherboard at a community college I was going to. And I would never have recognized him or cared about him if I didn't build those motherboards. And that got my career started. That was Steve Wozniak and a co-founder of Apple. And so that got me, got my uh, career started and led to uh, interviewing thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs over the years. And yeah, that, that kicked it all off. It all sp springs from that. Yeah. <laughs> Being Apple's Apple's first child laborer. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's actually absolutely incredible. How, yeah. so how did being uh, one of the first uh, people that worked at Apple, you know, change your life? Because you mentioned that started a journey that led you to talk with many, many, many entrepreneurs. Uh, and and yeah. most people cannot even dream of having such a background and history, you know, like you work with Steve. If Wart, you told yeah. me uh yeah, if you told me I'd be working for Bill Gates at some point and, you know, I had the first ride in the first Tesla with Elon Musk or been an early user of Instagram, you know, I was the 79th user of Instagram because of this, right? So if you told me all that at the beginning of my life, I wouldn't believe it. It would be science fiction, you know? <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious because there seems to be people that are always at the right place at the right moment in history. How did that happen for you? My dad grew up in poverty in Brooklyn, in the projects of Brooklyn, and, you know, got the, it went to the army, got the wealth to get a PhD at Rutgers University. And his first job was in Silicon Valley at, at Ampex, which made the first VCR. I was lucky because my dad got this job, you know, in a place that no, but very few people knew about, right? It wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't Silicon Valley back in 1971. 
but he bought a house in Cupertino for $65,000. Today, that same house is $2 million. <laughs> <laughs> right? The best yeah. investment of a lifetime. Yeah, you know, I'm still here because of that investment, you know. <laughs> he died a few few years ago, so, you know. But yeah, that's uh, some sometimes people get lucky. I I, I got lucky cuz my dad moved us to Cupertino, California in 1971 before Apple started, right? And Apple started a, a mile from my house. So, and it, that was my first startup to visit. I when I was 13, I because I built this motherboard, I really liked Apple computers. We had at High Junior High in Cupertino, we started we had the first Apple II computers. I was part of the little computer club there only five people, right? And my dad bought an Apple II as well at home. So we we had, we were surrounded by Apple from the early from you know childhood. <laughs> and now they're in my ears, you know. <laughs> so. I will say like I I agree with you to a certain extent when you say that uh, I was lucky I was at the right place at the at the right time, right? Uh, Machiavelli in The Prince uh, wrote about luck, the importance of luck. You can have many, many qualities, but you kind of have, you know, destiny sometimes needs to put you at the right place at the right time. And so yeah. I understand that must that must have played a role uh, in the way yeah. you started, but all the rest, uh, you know, that <laughs> came after. There's uh, a lot of work there. <laughs> if- if I grew up in Kansas, I wouldn't be who I am. <laughs> you know, I'd be something else. <laughs> you know, so but yeah, you're right. It, it, you know, thousands of interviews. That's a lot. That that is that's not luck. That that there's there's work there, and then getting jobs at Fast Company Magazine and Microsoft and and all that, and being a strategist and working at the highest level of a company and being able to see. You know, for at Microsoft, my job was to go around with a little video camera and interview people. And, and represent the comp- company on my blog, right? Uh, that's insane. <laughs> you know, I mean, thinking back on it, I got to in- interview 600 employees from the janitor to Bill Gates, you know, and understand one of the best companies in the world, you know, from the inside. So, like, doing an interview myself, uh, I'm kind of obsessed about questions. Like, I yeah. I have, like, a... Um, a note on my on my Apple, like I use Apple Notes, uh, uh, nothing yeah. very complicated or fancy, but I have these notes uh, and it's titled like uh, best questions. And basically everywhere I go, I try to collect questions or whatever podcast I listen to, you know, and then I'm like, oh, okay, how can I use this question to, um, to ask something out of my guest, you know? And so I wonder in all those... Uh, interviews that you did all the people that that you talk did you have uh, like a method for coming up with a question and like ideas really of how to get the best out of them because this is no. really like a very selfish question at this point <laughs> yeah at microsoft i i carried a little sony 250 camera camcorder right and because i only had a camcorder and i was doing everything cheap I, I didn't have a video crew, right, with lights and cameras and, you know, tripods and all that. I got that later, but I only could focus it on one thing. I couldn't focus it on myself, which was really important because I'm very selfish and I like, you know, focus on myself. But be, being forced to aim at somebody else and listen to somebody else was a, a big deal in the corporate setting. No, I, I you know, it comes down to passion. and you know, excitement of, you know, some nerd building some, like I, I remember at Microsoft Research meeting a guy who built an, an array microphone, which is a, a box with four separate little microphones. Now my headphones have like four microphones built into them. But back then it was, he, he, he got approval, spent $10,000 building this thing, you know, <laughs> and back, in, you know, back before it's in everybody's phones and, and headphones. And, you know, I, when I meet somebody like that, I'm just excited about it. I, I want to know about it. I want to learn about it. And I want to learn what they, what, what drove them to build that, you know? And it's, it's, it's the passion that, it's the passion that really brought, brought, got me into so many things, you know? And I see it. I, my, my kids don't have that passion, right? 
they have passion about other things, but they don't have that passion about new companies or new technologies or people who are doing changing the world or stuff like that. Right. They just don't ask questions. They don't, they don't have that kind of interest in the, in what's going on. And so that, that's what drove me. I very rarely did what you did, which is prepared questions. Once in a while I would, but you know, maybe for Bill Gates, you know, I'd, I'd have a bunch of questions that I wanted, but even with him, the question that, that, <clears throat> that caused him to think a little bit was like, if you were a kid interviewing or a guy interviewing the world's richest person, what would you ask? <laughs> you know, and he had to think about that because it, it wasn't something that he had a pre-written answer for, you know, because he's been interviewed by so many people that he has a pretty good idea of how he's going to answer every question. You know, it's very rare. He gets a question he's stumped by. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, when I have guests such as you, I always wonder, oh my God, I have a, a person that has so much knowledge uh, and conversation can go in so many directions. Uh, how do I yeah. make the most out of it? Uh, how yeah. do I cover an angle that maybe has not been covered before because you have been uh, interviewed by so many people, you know? Yeah. So it's very, it's very difficult uh, if you do it without preparation and even with preparation, I mean, yeah. you could fall way below the line anyway. So it's not guarantee, but I, I'm curious. So, with this uncanny ability to spot trends, you know, and that like, and be being a strategist, right? How do you spot those trends very early on? So like, if you were like, imagine you're a computer, right? Which sorts of data point uh, would you look at, you know, to predict technology that will be significant and speed out an algorithm that predict the impact that they're going to have. So I'm very curious about yeah. how your mind operates. And if you have a system, a process. <laughs> I don't have a system per se, but I, in hindsight, I sort of did. Microsoft paid me to go around the world interviewing people, right? So I got to go to Microsoft offices all like in England and other places and because of my travels and then getting in, in, invited to speak at places, like I spoke at Google's first advertising conference, right? As a Microsoft employee, that was a pretty crazy deal. And I was like, well, why is Google inviting me to speak? <laughs> you know? But I had a public space and I was friendly to Google, right? On my blog. And so that got me invited there. Because of that, I got to meet a lot of people who are building things that still haven't come true even 12 years later it takes a long time for innovation to move from like microsoft research labs where where like a andy wilson had a whole augmented reality lab 20 years ago right and it's just now starting to become real and so you know a product that consumers have in it could have in their homes right and so i it was just my ability to go to Israel and Germany and go and visit all these startups and founders and hang out with them and be at conferences and be in the flow. And now Twitter and, and this new threads thing that just came out last night are where the, that group of people is meeting every day, right. And sharing what they're doing. And so like on Twitter, there's a guy who just shares all the AI papers coming out of you know stanford and carnegie mellon and and all these different places meta and apple and you know open ai and stuff like that and so you just watch those and you start understanding where is the bleeding edge computer scientist working at well when is that going to come out to a real product that normal everyday people can buy and you sort of start watching that right and and yeah, so, you know, we all know a humanoid robot's coming someday, you know, so I'm watching that, right? And trying to help it along if I can. Right? Are there particular communities or places that, that you always, uh, you know, have a lookout for that you say, okay, I'm going to watch those people, you know, and see what they come up with? Like early it, experimenters and. Yeah. It, it's not one person. It's a, Today, it's a group of people. So yeah, I have Twitter. I have like 70 Twitter lists of 
investors and founders of companies and AI researchers and, you know, different kinds of people like that and all the tech news and all the world news. So I can watch the entire world go by, you know, on my screen. I can sort of underneath you <laughs> so I can watch the world go by. <laughs> if something dramatically important happens, we can talk about it, right? No, it's it's just hanging out with people who are building the future. They, they let me know what's what's coming. And, and you know, I, I mean, I had dinner with uh, the guy who ran Google's R&D you know, and we talked about the autonomous cars and what's what's coming. And that was eight years ago and it's still coming. <laughs> right? So it still hasn't really happened yet. I mean, it has in San Francisco, but my neighborhood doesn't have an autonomous car on it. OK, there's a Tesla in the garage, but it doesn't have a Waymo, a Google car. You know? Since we're talking about this, I'm very curious, out of all the technological innovation that are coming out, uh, you know, or there's, or they're already like out. What do you think uh, will be the most transformational and, and why in, in different fields as well? It's clearly AI right now, right? <clears throat> but I, I still am focused on augmented reality because I, I see in a few years, I've started seeing a lot of prototypes of glasses that look sort of like this, a little bit chunkier, a little bit bigger. But that have screens, cameras, microphones, right? And you start thinking about and talking to the innovators who are thinking about this and dreaming about it and working on it for years, right? I mean, I, I met Thomas Burness at the Augmented World Expo this year. He's been working on VR since 1965, since I was born, right? So there's people who have been working on te techniques and technologies for a long time that still haven't really caught on with the consumer because they haven't gotten cheap enough, good enough, light enough, small enough, you know, enough processing. But, but in the next five years, we're hitting that, right? The computers are, I mean, you, you see these little AirPod Pros have, this has more computer in them than an iPhone 4 had, right? So the computers are shrinking, 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 getting more and more powerful. And that's leading us into a new place. So, I would still say spatial computing, augmented reality is is the one that I think most people will, under, when they get glasses, they'll understand it. Now, the truth is a lot of what you're going to see and hear in those glasses is going to be produced by AI. And so AI really is the driver, is the engine that is going to create the experiences that people are going to you know, want to experience in these glasses. And by the way, that's why that's why I went crazy in the last year. I followed on Twitter. I followed seventy thousand people in AI. You know, if, if you're building an AI, I was following it, and I did that because I see, oh, these two things are going to join in the next five years, right? And I want to watch that from the people who are building it, and you know, help it along, participate in it and understand it and then have something to say about it, <laughs> you know, write a book about it or whatever. I wrote two on spatial computing on this uh, augmented reality and Qualcomm's head of uh, AR and VR said it's a must read. So how do you think spatial computing uh, can, can change, uh, you know, yeah. the way that we interact with technology today, yeah. what it makes it so, so significant. And with each other. Yeah. So, so, so here's an example of where I, I get lucky. Uni, uh, researcher at Unity took me in and showed me some of the prototypes of what they're working on. And they cut my kitchen in half. And so I'm wearing a device, right? And you're wearing a device. And I see your kitchen on the other half. And then you can walk out of your kitchen into my kitchen. And that's crazy shit, right? You know, but that's coming. <laughs> it's coming next year. And so, you know, the, the problem is nobody, you know, the first device, the Apple device is $3,500 and they can't make enough, even if everybody could afford it, which they can't, they can't make enough. So we have to wait a few more years until that gets down in cost to, let's say, under $1,000. Then the mass market starts getting attracted. And the device has to go from a big, ugly thing on your face to a pair of glasses. And that will happen over the next five years, right? Five years from now, we're wearing a pair of glasses. 
I've seen them. <laughs> They're really cool. <laughs> and people don't understand what why you would need that. But once they see it in a store, like, and that's Apple's whole goal with this new device is to get you to the Apple store to try it. Just to try it. We, they don't want to sell it to you. They, they don't have enough. They can only make 400,000 of these things. They just want you to see that there's a new way to compute that's way better than looking at a 2D glass green like I am right now, right? It, this would be way better if we were in a 3D space and we could, you know, sit around a table like we do in the real world. And that's coming. Yeah. I I'm very, very curious that this will change things like, you know, just for the way that we interact with technology and with each other, which I'm yeah. very, very excited about. We could play ping pong with each other. We could play blackjack with each other. Right? We could go bowling or mini golf. You're going to see a whole range of things the next year come out for the for the Apple uh, Visual, Vision Pro. And Zuckerberg has a cheaper competitor, right, uh, coming as well. So we'll see. We'll see a lot of innovation next year, I believe. And it, by the way, the AI stuff is just insane, right? <laughs> the speed of improvement um, and, you know, um, right? I, I'm, in, I'm in always the late in this stuff. <laughs> I'm always late. I'm, like, I'm, late. I, I'm not always late early. I, I'm early to some things, but some things I'm late to. But yeah, you know, with 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 this kind of technology, because I was a strategist at Microsoft, I, I've always tracked it and understood it and uh, cared about it. I also have a special needs son, and he's going to have a hard time in life. The glasses are going to make his life much better. Yeah, that, that's the power of technology, right? I wonder, however, how would uh, spatial computing change uh, also businesses? Uh, for example, I'm not just talking about virtual meeting, you know, that everyone can work remote. And I'm talking about, for example, even the app that we have on our phone right now. Right now, they are all designed for like a 2D experience. Yeah. Looks to me, and maybe I'm wrong, please correct me, but looks to me that even everything that is currently existing needs to be reinvented or if not reinvented, redesigned. So there are, I think yeah. there are huge on top opportunities so yes. I wonder if you can help this, me spot some. Yeah. Well, we already mentioned a couple. People keep telling me, I don't really want to go on a metaverse where there's strangers, right? There are some people like, I, I'm attracted to that. I like, I like going to places where there's strangers. But norm, I, I do a lot of consumer research, right? And people keep telling me, no, that's not attractive to me. I want to go and play simple games with my friends and family. Ping pong, blackjack, monopoly, you know, bowling, mini golf, right? Things you can play in your in your house with your friend, friends or family, so you don't have to. Like my best friend lives two hours away, right? So if I want to go and, dri and drive there, it, it's four hours just to go see him. Well, hey, can we put on a device and then play blackjack together on Friday night? That's a lot better than me driving to his house, right? And that's that's coming. You asked about enterprise. Enterprise is changing already because of this. For instance, there's we could spend an hour just going through all the different things I've seen. One of them was MetaView, which is a little company out of Cleveland Clinic. And they built a, a surgery app for a HoloLens. I have a HoloLens over here somewhere. And the surgeon puts on the HoloLens and it shows them how to cut the tumor out of your chest, right? It helps them do their surgery in 3D on top of the patient. So it overlays the scans on top of your body. And the, the tool, the thing actually shows you like a video game, how to get the tool into the right place. When it's in the right place, it turns green, you can start cutting, right? And those are the kinds of early things uh, that augmented reality is being used for. It's just, those are very expensive use cases. The, the surgeons are getting paid $300,000. The device costs $3,500. The custom software costs millions of dollars to create, right? But it has a, a big impact on a very expensive process, right? If a surgeon has to touch, has, touches something, he has to wash his hands, it costs $1,500 just to wash your hands, Right, somebody's actually <laughs> figured out all the costs of everything in the surgery room. Yeah, so having a 
uh, a better outcome because you're using new technology there makes a lot of sense. That kind of technology is coming to a whole lot of things, uh, you know, helping us fix a washing machine that's broken or helping us do something new um, is going to be uh, using the same kind of technology. But I've, I've seen factories use this, right? Volkswagen built the digital twin of their entire factory floor so that they could do training at home, right? So that worker gets hired by VW, gets a VR headset, does training before he even gets allowed to be on the factory floor for his job or her job and um, uh, goes through all the safety things that they have to worry about because they're working next to robots that can crush them, right? So you got to be careful of where you, you know, what you're doing. And yeah, this is already starting to change companies. It's just, it hasn't gotten mainstream. It's little tiny, you know, experiments here and there and here and there that cost a lot of money. But um, we're we're starting to get into a place where the technology is getting a lot better. And now that over the next five years, you're going to see a lot of movement in that. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to see a lot of movement and, uh, but, but still, I wonder, you know, this is just scratching the surface. There is, I think there is so much more potential, oh, no. oh. right? What it just keeps think? going, right? Because eventually we get computers hooking up to our brain. I have one down here uh, from Snapchat by a company called NextMind that puts a, a bunch of sensors on the back of your head, which is where all your visual processing is being done, right? So I'm seeing you with my eyes. But my brain is processing that all in the back of my head. And so if you put some sensors back there with some AI that understands what the what your brain, what your electrical signals are doing, you can start building new kinds of uh, brain computer interfaces. And that's really exciting. But that's a little bit further, uh, you know, 10 years, five years uh, from really being something that a consumer would consider. We have to get glasses first because it. Glasses are uh, how the computer will figure out your brain, right? Because the, the app visor has uh, eye sensors that look inside uh, your eye and know where you're looking and know a lot about you. And that process of getting that data, of understanding how you think, how you look at things, how you interact with things, is real important when you start hooking up other computer interfaces. And Mark Zuckerberg has a a band that you're going to wear on your arm that lets you shoot a gun without, without shooting it. Right. All you have to do is think about it and it shoots it. It's like, what, how does that work? Oh yeah. Just a little tiny twitch down here. The electrical signal going down your arm, the computer can pick, pick up, right. And do something. So there there's, it's never ending, right. It's just, some things are really, unattainable even for a government you know quantum computing right now governments ha have some of it but it's not very good yet you know you spend another trillion dollars and another trillion dollars <laughs> all of a sudden the government ha has it right <clears throat> and then the cost starts coming down so that businesses have it then the cost comes down so everybody has it right yeah, you you touch upon a point, huh? and and I believe we we talk we started to talk about this when when we first met in our in our first call together, and and it's something that gives me gives me pause, yeah. and and that's the the use of data. You said it yeah. before, right? Uh, so these devices basically look at the way you look at the word, literally. Yeah. Right, they they with, yeah. with your eyes, you know, yeah. see what you pay attention to, and you know they can kind of infer yeah. how you operate, what what you're oh, thinking. Not just infer. Yeah. It's. I, I saw like uh, we got to talk was, about my psychiatrist. That, uh, I I saw the video. Yeah. I saw the video while, while I was preparing for this interview. I saw your YouTube video. We're gonna leave it also in the in the description below. Yeah, of your therapy session. You know, yeah. with a therapist and chat GPT. Yeah. So if you combine what you write online. And that didn't have know. eye sensors or brain yeah, computer exactly. interfaces, right? It was just listening to the microphone. <laughs> you know? a, so already, I think already most people have very, very, a very hard time understanding themselves and who yeah. they are. This is like, we spend a lifetime, I think, uh, wondering who am I? A yeah. lifetime. And those devices are going to know 
better than anyone else, including us, especially us. <laughs> we are most often blind about ourselves. Who we or are. If, if we do know, we can't control it unless you yeah. really, you know, uh, do some meditation, like serious meditation. Like a friend of mine did uh, uh, seven days of meditating, right, at a Vespasta resort. That that kind of meditation where you're forced to sit on a mat for 24 hours and just do meditation exercises, that lets you figure out how your brain works. I'm not yeah. there. <laughs> I'm not there. I, I, I know sort of my traumas and how to, uh, why I do certain things, but fixing that is really here, – here, here's an example. I went to Stanford's VR lab uh, with Jeremy Balenson. And if you ever get a chance to do the tour and get his demo, he, he gave this uh, demo to Mark Zuckerberg. And a month later, he bought Oculus, which began his VR experience, experiments. I knew that the plank was coming. There's a demo there where he walks you across a plank, right, in VR. I knew it was coming. I watched YouTube videos of people doing it. I I knew my rational side of my brain knew I was on a conference room floor wearing VR, right? I knew there was three people around me to catch me if I fell or did anything like that. So I knew I was safe, the rational part of my brain. But when you're actually in VR and you're walking across the plank and then the floor falls away and you're on the plank over a canyon or over a, you know, a, a void, your mind starts flipping out and there's nothing you can do rationally to control your subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind wants off the plank in the worst way. And it, it, it showed me that humans don't really have control of themselves, most of us. Even when we're prepared, even when we're, you know, our rational mind knows what's going on, our subconscious is in control. And so you're absolutely right. Most people don't understand what their subconscious is doing, right? And how to control it. I don't understand how to control my subconscious, right? I'm trying to learn, but... Um, what are you doing it's, to try to learn? I'm curious. Well, that's why I was talking to a psychiatrist. Right? I was like, I was like, here's a psychiatrist. Well, you do YouTube using... in front of everyone. Well, you know, that's that's me. I'm an open book. You know, everybody knows my mental illnesses, and so I'm I'm like, okay, everybody knows what you know what I've done bad in life. It was in the New York Times, so let's go and and do this and and. What we're talking about is uh, I sat down with a psychiatrist for 30 minutes, had just a conversation like this, not much different than what we're talking about here, right? And it listened to that conversation and wrote highly technical notes about the conversation about my mental state. Like, oh, he has PTSD. He has, you know, he's been sexually abused as a child. Oh, he, right. He it just took notes on our conversation and put them in scientific language for the doctor so that the doctor could watch me over time and see if I'm improving or if some of the things that it noticed, you know, are, are getting better. And so, yeah, that's crazy. 30 minutes, right? What happens after 40 hours? <laughs> And if you combine it already with what they know of you outside of the therapy session, like your browsing history and, you know, what, what you're asking, you know? These things. What if it could listen to every single conversation I've ever had? Like I've done thousands of hours of Twitter spaces, right? And I get triggered there. I get angry or, you know, get confused or whatever. And so it would pick up on that. It could pick up on, it could go through thousands of hours of conversation and figure out even more detail about me. Like, and it already has, right? It read 20 years of my blogs. And so if you ask ChatGPT about me, it knows me pretty well. <laughs> it, it can write a blog like I would write it because it knows my language pattern, right? It's insane what's coming. And most people have no clue. That's why I did the psychiatrist, because I wanted to show people this new technology, large language models, AI, like OpenAI, open ChatGPT, right? They're very powerful new machines that can do new things that we did, are unexpected almost, right? Listen to it. 
this is a fun thing, right? You get the, in fact, here's something fun. Take this interview after it's over, stick it, just stick the recording into chat GPT, right? You can stick an hour of audio in there. It'll make a text transcript, then just post it to chat GPT and see what it says. It'll come back and start talking to you about our conversation. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm going to try that. Uh, and then I'm going to post it. Uh, on, I'm going to tag you on Twitter. Gonna be and, like, then, uh, yeah. and then you can start talking to the engine and say, okay, you have my this hour conversation with Robert Scovel. Uh, can you write a tweet based on this conversation? And it can. It's insane. Or write a blog post based on what we're talking about, right? <laughs> it can. It's like, what? <laughs> I would admit when I create content, uh, it's a great help. Like I I have like my prompts, uh, you know, that I spent some time, you know, uh, crafting for both help me coming up with questions. I also ask questions to ChatGPT. Uh, or or like for the title of the video the the thumbnail suggestions and all that stuff it's absolutely incredible i still need to get better at it but we all do you know (laughs) it's it's a new job yeah i'm trying to use ai first for everything it's hard to do that because there's a lot of friction but the more important things you use ai first right uh, even not important things like what should I have for dinner at this restaurant? You know, I yeah. ask it a lot about that. It's pretty good at that, right? It, it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. And it starts showing you how to use it and what it's good for and, and where it makes mistakes and right. And, and how it can be used. And that's how I discovered some of these things, right? Just playing around with it and trying things. Right. Yeah. But like, I want to go back to, 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 to to the getting to know ourselves versus yeah. the technology getting to know us better than we do, which we know yeah. doesn't take much, right? You can no. trick the brain in so many different ways and the, ba- the brain won't know the difference. So how do we protect, if we can, ourselves? How do we Oof. protect our own data and perhaps more controversial even shall we and or shall we simply accept the doom of uh, hey uh, technology is here to stay uh, this thing is gonna it, know us better than we do we might it as doesn't well really accept care it. Yeah. it doesn't really care it's just a machine with a trillion knobs on it and it doesn't care it really doesn't need your data to do much new it knows a lot of things already right and and so the chance that you're going to have it, something that you need to protect from that are, are, are really not that big a, a, a chance anymore where where i'm seeing people still be concerned is around intellectual property right if you copy a spreadsheet and put it into chat gpt it's really useful because now you can talk to chat gpt about the spreadsheet hey can you find an anomaly here? Can you change the row and the column? Can you right? Can you make a graph out of this? Stuff like that, right? You start talking to it. But you just give all of the intellectual property in the spreadsheet to chat GPT. At, at least that's the fear. Truth is, if you're coming in through the API, they say they don't record it. But this is a new company. We don't know how to trust this company, right? I, I don't trust companies anymore. I, Mark Zuckerberg lied to me personally uh, about you know data. And so I don't trust any company. I just, I think it's over. I think it doesn't matter. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but but here, here's what the companies are doing. The company is putting up a firewall, right? Intellectual property is over here. Open AI is over here. They're building their own large language models that are inside the firewall that the employee will talk to with their spreadsheets or their data lakes or, you know, the, the patents or whatever. Because it's really useful, right, for writing patents. I met a rocket engineer who used OpenAI to write patents, and it took one tenth the time that it used to take him to write a patent, right? So already, people, even rocket scientists, are starting to use OpenAI and just give it all the data. It doesn't matter to them. But if it does, you have to have this internal LLM. You have to build your own LLM or get your own LLM that runs inside your firewall that doesn't transfer uh, information over to OpenAI or has a system internally to figure out what is appropriate to go to OpenAI, 
right, for other answers, because OpenAI will have other answers that your own internal LLM doesn't have. So people, companies are building these hybrid LLM models, one LLM internally that talks to the other LLMs externally and decides based on the company rules what, what can be passed to OpenAI. And that's the bleeding edge right now. That When you go to the hackathons, there's a lot of people thinking about systems for, for businesses and are building very complex systems. The psychiatrist is a good example of that, right? The, the psychiatrist had a system, very complex system built for the psychiatrist to listen and to strip off all the personal information, right? The first step is his technology. It strips off all the personal identifiable information before it goes to open AI because it has to survive HIPAA review, right? HIPAA is a regulation in the United in the United States for protecting people's medical privacy, right? Yeah, but and this is just also much bigger than medical data because wow. when you when you combine. Uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT with spatial computing. This is something that ChatGPT now cannot do, right? Can track you what, what you're searching for and what you ask it to do, but yeah. cannot really interact with the way you see the word, with the way you move. So yeah. when you combine all those data together, right, then you get a pretty good understanding of who you are as an individual and and this is where where I get scared a little bit. It's uh, well, they can sell me anything, but they can also sway the way I think. They can condition the way I think yeah. my what I purchase, but also what I vote, for example, yeah. or what I believe yeah. in. Yeah, or they could radicalize. I mean, if you if you're a, a right wing Republican or a left wing Democrat, we can radicalize you. We can take you further, further, further using com the computer could move you a little bit every day, you know, and radicalize you and change your votes or change you, you know, change your belief system. It could, this is a fear. There, there's a number of different fears, problems coming at us. And that's one, when we get to Neuralink, when we're putting wires inside our brain, Ooh, then free will goes away. <laughs> if there's a wire on your brain and you can't control it, you know, if the wire tells you to raise your hand, you're going to raise your hand. There's nothing you can do about it, right? And so free will goes away. That's a fear. And the ability to have an internal dialogue with yourself, right? Should I say this thing? You know, should I believe this? Should I get out of this situation? Should, right? All these thoughts that people have internally. That has to be protected, and I think we we need regulation there. The, the, there is some real problems coming, you know, over the next twenty years for for human beings because because of this new technology, particularly once you start putting wires inside people's brains. You start doing that, then it changes what what it means to be human, right? You're integrated with a computer, and that that's very powerful. And if you have Parkinson's, you understand that it can really improve your life, but it brings major new problems that humans are going to have to regulate, figure out, right, engineer around, and and uh, build systems to worry about it. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a, a major new problem. It it can change our democracy, and it's uh, something to to pay attention to if you're a human. Yeah, how do you think? Uh society and, and governments that will need to change, uh, you know, to also pr protect uh, the way yeah. the way we live our own humanity. And and maybe this is inevitable, right? Some else, it's the next uh, inevitable uh, or, or homo machina, you know, the, the man machine, right? Yeah. I've heard in my ear, <laughs> you know, the movie heard. I, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's not much, like, if you think about it, uh, yeah. I had my first phone when I was uh, 10. Yeah. 10. And yeah. since then, uh, a phone has been plastered to my hand everywhere I go from that age onward. It's, it's you know, it's basically all my life. <laughs> so yeah. for me, it's not much uh, different. My kids, by the time they're my age, they're going to be very integrated with technology, right? 
I mean, look, look at the psychiatrist thing. Listen, the ability to listen to me for 30 minutes, figure out who I am and what, how to fix my mental state, right? That's insane. And we, we haven't even got eye tracking and uh, cameras that can see everything in your life. The computer vision that's coming is, is insane. I, it, it, the AI out of Berkeley uh, recognizes more than 200,000 items in your, in your world. Right with a camera, so you just aim your camera. You're seeing this. There, there's apps to recognize plants, right? So you aim the camera at a plant, and it tells you the name of the plant, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and soon it's going to do that for everything in your life, everything. Like, like this cup was made by a company, right? And who made this? How how much is ten of these on Amazon, right? It can know that. And it can know that it's on my table at this location. So if I move it, it can know where I left it, right? So I can ask Siri in the future, hey, Siri, where's my coffee, <laughs> right? And it'll know. Yeah. It'll go, you left it in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah, that will be handy. <laughs> that for yeah. sure will be handy. Where we're going is we're going to have a virtual assistant that we can talk to all the time about everything, right? Music, food work. Hey, I, I need to build a new factory floor or, you know, I'll talk to my assistant, you know, Hey, I need to build a new, you know, I, I need to build a new product. Here's what I'm thinking of. How, how would you do it? You can already ask ChatGPT these kinds of questions and it's, it answers you along there, but yeah. I'm spending a considerable amount of time thinking about, and also thinking about how, how can I personally leverage, but, um, how the relationship with work uh, is going to change, you know, and uh, how can we, can we leverage uh, special computing and AI to become more independent if you want? Because this is what I see. I see massive layoffs. Uh, they are already happening and it's going to be even more dramatic, uh, you know, moving forward, Right. But at the same time, it's never been easier to create a business and do something on your own. The problem is going to be that since it's so easy and the barrier is so low, it's very easy to replicate and very, very difficult to defend. So I wonder how do you see, you know, this, uh, the, the, the concept of work uh, evolving uh, and what should people... Uh, pay attention to, attention to also in terms of untapped opportunities. People, people who really understand AI and how to use it in their lives generally are not the ones getting fired, <laughs> right? And so that's the first thing you have to get, understand how powerful this AI is, how fast it's improving, and when will it have an impact on you? And if you're the one making the impact, you're going to be the one that's kept, right? Because there's still going to be humans at businesses, right? You're not going to see a completely AI-run business. Mm -mm. Not soon. <laughs> not, not this year. <laughs> I know somebody building an AI board of directors. So I, 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 I know, had a guest who, who asked the chat GPT to be the CEO of his company. He has built like the company, you know, yeah. and he has yeah. like investors now. Yeah. 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 I had to, I had to rethink that through. Yeah. It's not quite that good for most businesses, but it's getting there. Think about a truck driver though. The number one job in America is truck drive, is driving trucks, right? 1.3 million people work there. We all know autonomous trucks are coming and they're coming someday in two years, five years, 10 years. Sometime in the next decade, you're going to see a lot of autonomous trucks because it's way safer to have a computer driving than to have a human driving. And my Tesla is already driving everywhere, right? So Uber driver, taxi driver, truck driver. Your job is under threat. You're not going to have that job in 20 years. Not going to happen. In, in, except for in the poorest of the communities that can't afford, you know, a couple thousand dollars on a computer, on a car or a truck to drive the truck. But those jobs are going away, and we have to have an answer to that. And I, we, we don't have an answer to that, right? Uh, you know, people are talking about guaranteed minimum income. Ah, you know, giving somebody two thousand dollars is not going to keep them afloat, 
you know, you, you know, a family of four in a rich city it, it takes fourteen thousand dollars a month. Nobody is suggesting that you're going to pay somebody fourteen thousand dollars a month just to sit at home yet. You know, that's not going to happen. So we 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 need policies and retraining and and uh, social networks. I'm sorry, social systems, you know, uh, safety nets to catch people as this change comes because it's going to come and it's going to come to a lot of people, lawyers, <laughs> truck drivers, right? White collar people, they're getting laid off because AI is starting to do their job. And you take it another 10 years, it's going to do a lot of people's jobs. Right. So it's a worry. It's uh, and it's a real problem. And in America, we're not having a good conversation politically about what to do about this. There is an answer, augmented reality, because augmented reality can retrain a truck driver to do almost anything quickly, much faster Mm -hmm. than any education system you've ever seen. I've, I've talked to tractor companies that are using augmented reality glasses to teach people how to take apart the oil pump in real time on top of the tractor, right? Reflect built a system for Mercedes-Benz for firefighters to come up to a wrecked car and understand how to cut apart the car without hitting electrical lines or gas lines in the car, right? In real time, no classroom needed, right? So there is powerful new education technology that will take humans into new jobs. And there are lots of new jobs, right? Just because the old job's gone away, Look at OpenAI's hiring. They're hiring a lot of people. They're just very technical jobs. They're very skilled jobs. They're jobs that people had to go to school for six, seven, eight years before, right? We need to get people there. And that's a big, it's a big problem, certainly for my kids' generation. It's a real problem. So I don't have the complete answer there, but I see as this new technology comes, it also provides answers for for humans, getting humans back into productive work. And there's not going to be a robot for every house for a long time, right? So plumbing, glass, cement, you know, all the all the workers that need that are needed to do things in the world. You know, you're not going to have a robot that does all that quickly. Eventually, yeah, you know, for my kids life you know by the end of their life they're going to have dozens of robots around them right helping them out cooking dinner folding laundry working on the factory floors right doing their doing jobs and so that's a new world and it's a scary world because it's you see the fear and the change and the pain and the you know the 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 loss but you also don't see the opportunity and what what is coming and I'm starting to pay attention to that a lot, you know, how business people are using AI. Yeah. What what have you seen, you know, of how business people are using AI? Oil workers using it in Texas. Video game people are using it to build video games, right? I talked to politicians using it. I, I talked to a group of pastors who are using it to write their sermons on Sunday, right? So we see evidence that, that that people are changing how they're working because of this new technology. They're getting used to it pretty quickly. And, you know, you take that process another few years, a lot of things are about to change, right? Yeah. And that's scary to a lot of people because most people don't like change. Even I don't like change, right? It means I have to learn something new. I have to put some effort into it, right? And... And I might have, you know, my life go away. I, I need to figure that out. So, right. And everybody has to deal with that. Yeah. I wish we had the playbook, you know, that explained, oh, you need to do this and you need to do that. We do. It's called Chat GPT. <laughs> Ask Chat GPT. I'm about to lose my job as a truck driver. What should I do? <laughs> Probably we'll have some answers. <laughs> let's, let's, ask <laughs> let's ask it. Let's ask it. See, this is the impulse. This is what people have to do. It's like open up Chat GPT, pay your 20 bucks a month, right? And uh, start using it for things, right? I'm a truck driver and I'm about to lose my job because of autonomous vehicles. What should I do to prepare for the change that's coming? Right. What does it say? 
Well, first of all, it recognized what I said really quickly, right? Okay. That's uh, a new uh, text-to-voice system called Whisper. It's insane. I, I use this at noisy, noisy parties to listen to a group of people, and it heard everything, even in a really noisy nightclub. All right, so there you go. Stay informed. Develop some skills. Diversify your expertise. Network. Consider entrepreneurship. Right. It has a whole bunch of answers. Right. And so you started working on some of those and digging into it. It keeps helping you. Right? It keeps teaching you. It knows a lot of things. It's really interesting to have this kind of conversation with with an AI and, and understand, you know, how to change my career, how to get ready for this change. Right. What should I do? Yeah. yeah. I'm an equal part excited and an equal part scared. Because like, yeah. I think about, you know, what we talked about earlier, you know, about free will. And uh, so I'm, I'm like oh, torn between the, <laughs> between the two. I don't know. You could be Amish, I, you know, go, go live. It. There's 30,000 people who are like, ah, oh, we don't use yeah. technology here. You got to ride a, you know, you got to have a horse. <laughs> you can't yeah. have a car. <laughs> you know, I, I lived in a very close to an Amish community when I was in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And uh, I, I greatly respect, you know, their, their choices, but I don't think that's for me. <laughs> Not for me either. You know, I, I like. I like, I mean, how would I do this without technology, right? You know, I mean, we're, we're using an, a, a technology that was developed for the military <laughs> to talk to each other, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the listeners of this show uh, are passionate about technologies and they're trying to figure out uh, how they can leverage those technologies and create a personal brand uh, to be financially independent that's you know what what most uh, of those, my listeners are having in common so yeah. i wonder you know since you are the perfect marriage between uh, expertise in technology and knowing how to leverage social media how can what what would you tell you know those listeners if i'm starting out today included? yeah, yeah if like, starting out what, today? Would, what would be your strategy you know have a point of view. If I was starting out today, I would pick a niche that's not well covered that will be more and more and more important over time, right? Uh, augmented reality today is not important. So if you build a whole brand around augmented reality over time, as new products and new things come out, all of a sudden you're in the middle of an industry. I did that with AI, right? I saw AI happening early because uh, Siri was launched on my show and that was the first AI consumer app. And so I've been watching AI since it turned consumer. Now, it, you know, it, I just interviewed the three founders of Siri on stage, and they were doing AI for 15 years before that at a government lab, right? Adam Shire ran the biggest AI group in the world at one point before it turned consumer. So, you know, there's people who are working on things right now that won't matter for 20 years, right? And that's crazy. So pick one of them, become an expert on it, you know, write a book on it and do interviews on it, serve it. And today it might not be important, but as, as the world changes, all of a sudden you're, you're the middle of, you know, brain computer interfaces, for instance, there'll be a, somebody will come along and build a threads just about brain computer interfaces. And today that's not that important, but 10 years from now, it's going to be very important, right? So all of a sudden you have a media company because you've been working on it on a single topic for so long uh, and covering it and becoming an expert at it. Yeah. Build things, right? People have built things that you can build companies. And that's that's the real trick. If you can build a company, that that means you had to get along with other people. You had to convince investors to put capital into the company. You had to fix, convince customers that you had a product that's interesting, right? That's new and interesting and get them to buy it, right? That's that's pretty hard to do. I, we know it can be done because we see, you know, we see it done every day, but it's pretty hard to convince customer to buy a new thing, right? It is. It is. Robert, this is... I really want to thank you, really. Uh, it, it, it's an amazing uh, interview Thanks, conversation, really. Thank You're you. You're good. You do your homework. See, most people don't do their homework. So that's the first rule. <laughs> coming, coming from you, like, okay, you just made my day. Thank you. <laughs>
All right. And I need to listen. do more of that myself because, uh, you know, if you do things without some preparation, they they tend to go in a different direction than if you actually have some, you know, preparation, some thinking and some homework. All right. And for listeners, uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. That's all from today's episode. Thank you so much for watching or listening. If you find this episode valuable, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel or to the Polyweb podcast on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. It would be fantastic if you could leave us a rating, a review, or a comment, as this really helps other listeners find the show. All the resources mentioned in this episode will be linked in the description and in the show notes. See you on the next episode. And if you cannot wait until next week, you can watch this episode right here that relates to some of the things that we talk about in this episode. Bye.